Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast, our second special episode. It is with great sadness, but also much remembrance and celebration of a truly great life that we confirm the death of former London Welsh player and coach, Sydney John Dawes, OBE. Our very best wishes and thoughts go to all of John's family, and particularly former player Mike Dawes, which is John's son, and current squad member Rodri Dawes, which is his grandson. This is a seismic loss to the London Welsh family, as well as the entire rugby community across the world. Our guest this week is Eddie Butler, who pays his own tribute to John Dawes, and we discuss the form of Wales, his rise to the hot seat for BBC Network for the Six Nations, commentating during the pandemic, and the potential of a junior butler playing for the mighty London Welsh. Our guest in this special is Eddie Butler. Enjoy. Welcome to our pod, former Welsh international and captain, British and Irish Lion, rugby commentator and journalist, Eddie Butler. How are you, Eddie? Very well, thank you, Gareth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, and before we start on our interview, news just in is that we've heard that our president... John Dawes has sadly passed away uh, this morning. Uh, has been made public yet, but um, you know you'd have grown up watching, you know him play, um, him, you know coaching the Lions, coaching Wales. What are your memories or reflections of uh, John Dawes, Ed? Well, I first came across John Sid, as as he was known to to everybody in Wales. Uh, he was still coach of Wales when I dipped my toe into the international scene. And it was back in the days when there was a Wales B team and we were Wales B heading off for France. And Sid was reaching the end of his coaching career. And uh, and so, you know, I was very much the youngster coming in and he was the, the, the star coach going out. But even then, what was, what was abundantly clear that he just came at rugby from a, from a different angle and he was, um, I suppose I got to know him many years later and he was still talking about the game in a very refreshing, different way. You know, he wasn't, um, he was he was a different kind of player. You know, he was very much the facilitator so that others could shine. But he was a very shrewd, intelligent player as he was just as a human being, you know. And, and I would say of all the people you could sit down with and just talk about rugby, and perhaps beyond that into life in general, he was one of the wise ones. And he brought so much to the to the game. And um, you know, he shared it and he had his he had his years in the in, in, in the spotlight, especially as captain of the 71 tour. I mean, he went, and it still remains the record that no other Lions team has won in New Zealand, and John Dawes was the captain. And I suppose that is his crowning glory, but as a coach. You know, he took Wales through that golden decade of the 70s. And, uh, you know, it's strange that because he was was not flamboyant, either as a player or as a human being, you know, he sort of slips under our radar, really. But I, 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 I want it to be underlined now that he simply was one of our greats. Yeah, what a lovely tribute. And, you know, his effect on London Welsh was magnificent, you know, um, from when he joined us in 65 and, you know, 
played and coached at the same time, really. And we had a distinctive way of playing at London Welsh and that morphed into providing seven players to that 71's Lions tour, didn't it? It did. And so, you know, there was uh, an influence there and uh, given what he did for London Welsh and was able to carry that onto the Welsh level, the Lions level in New Zealand, it, it, it says something about your club, it says something about our country, and it says something in particular about John Dawes. And the beauty is, you know, we've got, uh, we've had his son, Mike Dawes, play for London Welsh, and now his grandson is in our first team, Rodri Dawes. So the generation of Dawes continues with London Welsh, which is a fantastic story for, for us, and I'm, I'm sure he'd be very proud of Rodri playing in our first team. Well, that's brilliant, because um, we do love a dynasty in Welsh rugby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I'm just I'm just reminding myself that I actually left John Dawes out of my greatest Welsh 15 of all time and it sort of nagged away at me over the years and uh, when we come to doing the next edition I think I shall reinstate him in the centre because I did agonise long and hard about it and uh, you know it's um yeah sorry John it was um that was an omission of of which I I plead guilty Someone who's had a lot of success, you know, at a lot of levels, you know, as London Welsh, Wales and Lions is, you know, it's, as you say, maybe slipping the radar, but really is a, a true great, isn't he? Wasn't he? Oh, no, no, absolutely. You know, there's there's no question. His, in, his influence. And actually, when you think of them, um, I also came across him when he was uh, running a committee at the Welsh Rugby Union. And, and, and even then, you know, we... We tried to come at rugby from a different angle and, and and see what we could do to shake things up a little bit, just to just to give a new perspective. And he found it very easy. You know, he just had a quite a, a lateral way of, of of coming at the game, and it's um it was very refreshing. And uh, you know, to the end, you know, he was he was different. He was very good company. He was great fun. Oh, lovely words, Ed. And look, you know, um, as the news filters out over the weekend, I'm sure there'll be many, many tributes, especially in the Sunday supplements, about what John Dawes had delivered for rugby in, in Wales and, and the UK. But uh, thanks again for your lovely words, which I just ask give you like you know 30 seconds preparation prior to our chat. So I do generally appreciate that. Now, obviously, um, you know, I want to ask how you guys have been because you know in in um, You've been locked up in Monmouth over the last few months. I take it you've had a full house. Uh, well, three of them have um, have long flown the nest, so they're they're out and about here yeah, doing their own thing. But uh, the, the three here, yeah, they've been they've been around. They've uh, actually, funnily enough, my eldest Jacob, he's up in London now, and he has just joined. Guess who? London I know, Welsh. I know he has. I will come on to that in a second. Okay, we'll come on to that. Don't you worry. That's the connection to get you back in. So look, it's been a challenging time for all families, but things are looking up now. Lockdown's easing and community rugby has returned to Wales. Am I right? Yeah, it's starting to stir. I wouldn't say, you know, the playing fields are alive with the rugby players, but it's 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 coming back. And my goodness, we've, we've missed it badly. You know, I think um, I don't worry so much about people of my age who are, beyond playing although we were saying the other day we do miss just going out and watching Abergavenny on a Saturday afternoon you know it's just it's just part of the the fabric of Welsh life you know just to poodle off down the park and watch a game at Pontypool Park or Abergavenny you know it's um it's been 
it's been trying for us, for my generation, who have basically sort of had it pretty easy, really. I feel I feel really strongly that it's the it's the younger generation who are <clears throat> sort of taken for granted. You know, they've been very much left to their own devices, except being told, do not do this, do not go back to university, do not have face-to-face meetings or or contacts with your peers. And I think, you know, we just think that, oh, they'll be all right. But I think the effect on the younger generation is going to be with us for some time yet. So I, I, so for me, you know, the sooner that life is reopened for them, the better. You know, that's, that's I, I really mean it. I think the youngsters of the land have, have been put through the mill. No, I agree wholeheartedly with that. It's, it's been really tough. And, you know, you, it's the simple things in life that we've missed. And it's not the material things. It's, a, it's the community. Walking down, as you say, to your local rugby club, having a drink and a chat with people, watching a game. And just talking to you know about rugby and uh, you know ho- and hopefully that'll be back you know in in the UK it's sort of back now as touch rugby but the leagues will start September fingers crossed. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, do, we do need we need a little bit of we do need a bit of hard physical contact I think just to keep us <laughs> um, keep ourselves sane. It, it is a, it's a, it's a strange medicine to to dish out for for mental health, but you know, a good workout on the physical front actually does a lot of good. No, it certainly does. Look, you've been in quite a privileged position this year, I suppose, because you'd be able to commentate on the Six Nations and the Pro 14. Has that been done from the stadium or, or are you in the studio doing that? Uh, where have I been? I suppose for the Pro 14, because it exists in this sort of strange bubble of, of, of grounds in that have an isolation all of their own. We have been allowed to, to, to go in and commentate at Parker Scarlet's and at Rodney Parade, and you know, it's, it's been all right. But in, in actual fact, it's, it's, it's probably more sterile and, and safe within the rugby grounds at professional level than, than anywhere. But for the Six Nations, uh, I'm just trying to think where we did go. We, we were allowed into the Principality Stadium uh, we could go to Murrayfield, but for the great showdown, Paris, France, Wales, going yeah. for the Grand yeah. Slam, we were put in the biggest warehouse of a studio the BBC has in Salford, Manchester. And in this barn of a place, they had three little chairs in the corner. <laughs> and Jonathan Davis, Brian Moore and I sat down, socially distanced from each other in this, in this enormous studio, and we did it from there. So that was that was the uh, you know that was the strangeness of it all. And in those empty stadiums, have you had to modify what you say in case you were overheard by players or coaches, or wasn't that really a problem? No, I, I oh, do not. It never never struck me that anybody <laughs> might overhear us. I did enjoy. I quite enjoyed. If you haven't got a crowd, then actually you can hear a lot of what the players are saying, which is which is very interesting. And it it. I'm sure there is more chatter on the pitch now than there ever was. It's a very noisy place out there. Um, but whether they could hear us, I, 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 I suspect not. I don't think so. But it, it's it's a strange one because I will, you know, you you, you talk about um, uh, what what goes through your mind on the on the question of impartiality when it comes to doing a commentary. Well. We were talking about it the other day, and we just felt once you put the, the headset on, once you got your cans on, you enter this this inner world of the BBC where you know it is it is so divorced from 
the cauldron all around you or the theater in front of you that it's quite easy to to just be there in in bbc space and 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 i think it is quite easy to be impartial there you know the voices you hear the director the tmo the the program editor and uh it is it's very different from hearing the live crowd although as a background hubbub of course they're there as well but it's just a it's a very different mix of sounds you get when you're when you when you're working there yeah, well, you, you, obviously you've been very busy with all that and you know today we pushed back our chat because you do more commentating work and doing the english feed on the new zealand super rugby which is hurricanes against blues which which is a fantastic um fantastic rugby for anyone who can watch it and the highlights are on s4c at 10 p.m on a sunday but are they showing those live as well on s4c or are you just doing it as live to be for highlights program and packaging yeah, I don't think anybody's doing them live. Yes, it's, no, there's um, a rugby pass. You can buy a pass for an oh, app called Rugby Pass. Um, okay, I, sorry, yeah. I, apologies to Rugby Pass, but uh, <laughs> but I, I was no um, what do you call it, free to air or, or, or yeah, apologies to Rugby Pass. But no, we, I am the red button English language option on Welsh language S4C television. <laughs> Work that one out. It's but they're great. You know, it's. A, but the, of course, the trouble is you're watching this uh, for, for me. And, and again, we, we, we go back to John Dawes, really, that, you know, New Zealand rugby is so good. And it is such a, a breeding ground for fresh ideas. And, and if you want if you want to know where the game is going next, you, you only have to go to New Zealand to find out what they're doing and, and do your best to scramble to keep up with them. So to go there and win, I mean, is, is, is requires everything you've got and more so for me new zealand rugby is by a mile the best yeah and, uh, i i my, my my levels of optimism are always recharged by watching new zealand because it's not about ferocious physical massive power you know there's subtlety and there's guile that they come at you with with aggression, no question. They love, you know, they just they love the physical side of it. And they can be as wild as anybody, as 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 intemperate as anybody. But they do put more of an emphasis on finding a gap rather than thundering into the the guards that lie on each side of that gap. And I think we've reached a stage now where where, where rugby really needs to be thinking about more about liberation than it does about bulldozing you know i agree that you know don't you know you find gaps don't find contact and but also new zealand are just great yeah you know the world class at the basics aren't they and they're, they're handling catching running at pace it's brilliant so it's a it's a, it's a highlights program it's an s4c 10 p.m every sunday and the english language option is eddie butler as your commentator so eddie i just, I just want to sort of get into how you got into commentating really because i think you um you trained as a teacher and uh, you became a journalist and you're an author now. But what was your pathway to the BBC rugby commentator chair? Well, I wasn't trained as a teacher. I just I sort of fell into teaching straight after university. They offered me a job and said, well, we don't mind if you go and play rugby when you want to, need to. So, you know, these were the amateur days. It just seems so antiquated now to yeah. think that you're playing top class rugby and you have to have a job that, you know, it, 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 and we thought that, oh, could rugby ever go professional? Could it, you know, could it tolerate the strains imposed on it by the, the need to win to get your bonus? And there, there were doubts. And it just seems so old fashioned now to think that 
you know, those doubts ever existed. The game is so much better now for being professional at the top end. But yeah, no, I so, I, so yeah, I needed a job after university. And so I, I got a job at Cheltenham College for a couple of years. And then I got a job as um, press and publicity officer, Radio Wales at BBC Wales in Cardiff. And, uh, uh, and yeah, so that was my, that started my, my life in broadcasting. And um, they said after a few years that um, if you want to work in, in the BBC sports department, you cannot be playing. So I thought by then, you know, you, there's a burning desire to play on a Saturday. You know, you, yeah. you look forward all week to that Saturday afternoon, or in our case, Wednesday night as well. We played so many midweek games as well. So Wednesday, Saturday, it's the, it's the routine, it's the ritual that, that dominates your life, dominates your thinking. And I, I just reached a stage at the BBC where I was actually enjoying being at the BBC, but I perhaps stopped looking forward to Wednesday and Saturday quite so much. And you know then that, you know, you, you cannot survive. You cannot survive in Welsh rugby if you're not totally committed to it. Uh, so I gave up and went into the BBC sports department and that career went precisely nowhere. <laughs> so within a couple of years, I was, I was, I was pouting and walking out and, and I went back and had a couple more seasons at Pontypool, sort of just, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was a strange one. And then there was a change of regime at, at BBC Wells. The old guard that, that ran the sports department, they all retired. And um, Gareth Davis, who was, you know, outside half for Wales, yeah. former outside half by then, he, he became head of sport. And I just got a job on a brand new Sunday newspaper in London called the Sunday Correspondent. And so it was my first entry into journalism as the rugby correspondent of the Sunday Correspondent. And Gareth Davis became head of sport at BBC Wales. And he asked me to go back and do stuff for BBC Wales. And so I had this sort of twin path then, writing for a Sunday newspaper, working for the BBC in Wales. And, I've had that sort of twin path ever since, really, and that was um, that's th over thirty years ago. So you write for the Observer now. Do you still do that? And and then obviously you're the the chief BBC com um, commentator. But you did you work with Bill McLaren ever um, and learn from the the great man? Yeah. So I went back to work for BBC Wales, uh, and that included that included going up and starting to work as a what we call a second voice. So. I became a second voice on the six five nations as it, as it was back then. So I was to Bill McLaren what what Brian Moore is to me, I suppose. You know, I was the I was the one that sat alongside Bill and made my little contributions. Um, so that carried on, and the Sunday correspondent. Well, it was the Titanic in that it was heading straight for an iceberg and and hit it after a couple of years. But boy, we had that. That was a great job. I know it's a talking about a newspaper that's long gone but we had such good fun on there we knew we we knew there was an iceberg out there and we knew we were going to hit it hard so the, the party the band played on hard and the party was was loud that was that was great and and luckily the the sports editor of the sunday correspondent went before it sank to the observer simon kellner he went on to become uh, editor-in-chief editor of The Independent, uh, and he was sports editor at the, at the Observer, and he sort of flung us a lifeline, really. He he sent out a little lifeboat for us, and 
a couple of us managed to clamber aboard and go to the observer. So in 1991, when the when the World Cup came to the UK, I was fresh into the the observer job, and I stopped writing for them in about 2015. Right. But that was you know working for the observer. We we had to dodge a few icebergs along the way, but um, in the sort of early early 20 you know, around about from about 2003 up to about 2012 the observer was a fantastic place to work it just had a real buzz and energy about it and uh yeah that was that was great fun but, but all the while all the while there's been the bbc just going and doing stuff for the bbc it's been amazing think about it you've had you know, front row seats seats for watching wales games for the last 30 years and you're obviously Everyone familiarizes your voice with watching Wales. You know, you've been, you've so so. Why do you think they perform so well in this Six Nations compared to how they form in the Autumn Nations Cup? Yeah, I think that we always get quite judgmental about autumn form and think that it's you know it's a it's a, a sure sign that things are going very badly. But it, it, it tends not to be like that. You know the. The autumn under Warren Gatland didn't go particularly well. I mean, we had a couple of good wins against Australia and, and South Africa, but it was in, in, in general, the autumn doesn't find us at our best. You know, the, the rhythm of the season, the rhythm of, of our rugby is geared towards getting the players ready for February, March now in the Six Nations. And that, that, that biorhythm suits us. And I don't think there was any surprise really. I, you know, that, that we did well in the Six Nations. I think the players were still there that had, that had known the 2019 Grand Slam. And, and the only question was whether their, their slight hesitancy in embracing a, a more adventurous style under Wayne Pivak would, would marry with what they had been through under, under Warren Gatland. And, you know, whatever the formula was, it worked. I'm sure there was a compromise on on both sides because they did play a much more adventurous game you know and they, you, you know you you end up with ken owens parked out on the on the wing and you know adam beard popping up in midfield and everybody giving out these little passes and they looked very comfortable doing it so the the players embraced it and yet i think wayne probably had a compromise on how much time they spent training and and I think he let the players dictate the rhythm of the build-up to big games. I think that they said, look, we know what we're doing. We know what gets us in the right frame of mind. And I think he said, right, I'll leave you to that. Well, there's a lot of experience in, in that Wales side, isn't there, really? But look, you were there commentating on two big games before Wales. You're in the stadium for the Wales-England game, where there seemed to be, you know, you're live on telly, and there seems to be a couple of howlers <laughs> from an officiating perspective. It must be quite hard to be... Um, well, so you're in the moment. So how do you control your emotions when things like that happen, you know, the, where the referee and his team are perceived to have made a mistake? Well, I think I think we were pretty clear that, you know, that looks like a mistake to us, a clear mistake, you know, yeah. and we were all in agreement. And I don't think it's difficult to, to make that judgment. You know, we're not there. We're not there as BBC Wales commentators we're there as bbc what we call bbc network yeah. so that is the that's the bigger picture and so you just have to give the bigger picture you know and, you know i don't think it's um 
it's again you know you're in your own little world and i don't think it's it's not that difficult to um to stay there and you, you're the, the good thing is as well that you you have clear access to the to the refs sound and to the tmo sound and so you're aware of what's going on between them and you know we were we raised eyebrows amongst <laughs> ourselves as that was going on but in terms of the game itself i think you know once it got once england recovered from those errors that went against them well, certainly the one error. I think the knock-on was definitely an error. I'm not so sure about the um, the cross the cross kick from from Dan Bigger. I'm, I'm not sure. I think you know on the other side of the pitch, um, Johnny May was ready to go. Yeah, they were just a little bit slow in getting themselves out I of did, their huddle. Just think the spirit really of uh, giving them time to yeah. settle. It, well, I bet you look anyway. anyway. You know, no, no, I, t I take the point, I take the point. But the thing is, England got back to 24-all. You know, they, they overcame all that was seemingly stacked against them. Get back to 24-all. And I was thinking, oh, well, that's it. You know, there's only one team that's going to win now. But Wales were the ones that immediately found the extra gear. You know, they, they raised their game and there was nothing lucky about that closing section of the game. All those penalties were clear-cut, bang-to-right penalties. And the try was was very well taken. So what what had become a game swinging precariously for Wales just eased the way to an emphatic victory, and I, I, you really can't argue with that. And that was Pivak's changes, really. Yeah, when he was quite uh, bold in his in his changes in that game. But then we come to the France game, and you're the, the three of you in the studio in Manchester, and you got the last two minutes of that game, or last ten minutes of that game. You, know, you must have been like exasperated, you know, the tension in that in that studio for you three trying to do your job well, and which you did do. But the, 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 the drama of the game was unbelievable, wasn't it? Well, we, we knew we were in trouble when Brian Moore said, it's all over, Wales have got this, no problem. So <laughs> that's when you start sweating. No, but it, I mean, to be in the French half with 30 seconds left on the clock in possession, I mean, it's... You've got to say something has to go badly wrong for that to um, to come unstuck. But uh, you know, as Alan Wynne said immediately, you know, without even having to think about it, you know, over the course of a campaign, it all evens out. You know, you think you get a bad call one day, well, maybe the next day you get a good one, and maybe yeah, against against France, it it went against us. But for, for me, you know, you have to pay credit to France. That was a magnificent comeback by them. You know, they were, that would not have happened three years ago. No way. Yeah. France would have, their heads would have dropped, but not now. They're, they're a side truly on the rise. And uh, I think they'll look at that particular game as a, as a milestone. A Looking at it, no, it's been a fantastic Six Nations, loads of close games. And, you know, uh, it's just a shame, obviously, there are no spectators watching it, but, but lots of form players from the Celtic region, shall we say. I mean, obviously going to a Lions year. So everyone's talking about Bolters, you know, it's the Lions squad. You know, have you got any sort of um, players you think that, you know, that, you know Warren or and his, and his coaching team might might pick now who may have not been, you know, natural picks for people? Well, I think Lewis Rees Summit has probably played his way. Yeah, I mean, you, if you've got that pace, and you've also got those skills of distribution. You know, everybody says, oh, he's got a thing or two to learn about defence. But you know, to be honest, you know, if you, 
if you've got that buzz when when you get the ball, I mean Shane Williams had it. Um, you've you've got to include them. I, I think it's an absolute must that when a one player electrifies a championship, you, you've got to be you've got to give yourself license to take him to the next level, even if it means you you you, you yield a bit on experience. I think he gave a lot more than just his pace in the Six Nations. They used him quite a lot on, the, on an inside ball. He was quite physical. I thought um, he did well. But I think in terms of other bolters, I'm, I'm putting Danny Kitter out there. I know he did because the scrum half position, I don't think, has been solidified um, in, in any way. I think he could be because he's, he's playing well in the Premiership. I don't know if you get to see that at all. But um, yeah, I think he's one who could get chosen potentially. Well, yeah, that is, that is Gareth. That's a left field call. Yeah. But you're right, actually, that at scrum half, there is no, you know, dominant personality because I think Conor Murray, from, from being absolutely at the heart of the, of the Lions team that drew in, in New Zealand, you know, this now should be his crowning glory. But he's, he's definitely, through injury and through, you know, it happens. You just lose a bit of form at the wrong time. You lose a bit of confidence. And, you know, it's... it's it isn't clear cut who who will be the number nine. So yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, I think they've got some issues with the spine. You're know, two, nine, and ten. You know, two. You've got. You know, I think Ken is in because you know, Ken will be a great tourist no matter what, and he's playing well. Jamie's playing in the championship, and Luke Cowan Dickey might get affected by some of the PRL issues. So Hooker is not, you know, is a problematic position. I think for the Lions this year. Yeah. No. I think. Um, I think that the. the um, the demise of England is, is when it comes to this Lions team, is not going to serve the Lions well. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's of its own making and it's full of uh, weirdness. But I, for me, the, one, the, the key statistic of the, of the Six Nations was that when it came to Wales, England, Adam Beard had played more minutes this season than the entire English pack put together. You know, there's Adam Beard at the end of last season, which was only end of last summer, out of form, out of sorts. And they said, right, you're not in the squad. Go back to the Ospreys and play yourself back into, into some sort of form. And he did. And he played a lot of minutes for the Ospreys. And he re-emerged a really good player, a really good championship, Adam yeah. Beard, back in top form. And yet there all the England players who couldn't play for one reason or another, you, you know, everybody said, oh, it doesn't matter. They, you know, they... They know the system so well, but you don't, you get, you get out of touch and it's such a precise game, you know, the angles and the timing and the, the speed and just the, the pace at which international rugby is, is played, you know, you, you do get out of, out of rhythm and, uh, you know, that was a major problem for England. Yeah, so to some tough calls. I know Warren's got a bit of time now until he announces his squad on May the 6th. But you're a lion, Eddie, and you went to New Zealand in 83 with, with um, Rob Ackerman from London Welsh. What, what are your memories of, be, of being a, a lion? I appreciate you were a, a late replacement going to New Zealand, but you had, you, what, was your, what were your memories of that time? Uh, my, my, my memories were landing in, um, in Auckland on the Saturday. So I was an eight, nine day, nine day tourist. And I arrived in Auckland and, uh, uh, and Jim Telfer, who was coach, came to Auckland airport to meet me. And he said, hello, Eddie. And I said, hello, Jim, nice to be here. He said, well, he said, son, you've come out here to replace two number eights, John Beattie and Ian Paxton, both injured. He said, well, they're both fit again. <laughs> 
Right. What, so what is it, Jim? Quick about turn, get back on the plane. He said, ah, no, son, since you're here, you may as well stay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that very afternoon, yeah, so that very afternoon we played uh, Counties Manukau. I sat on the bench and we went on a, we would do, do you, you, as a replacement back in those days, you didn't automatically go on the pitch. And so, you know, we, I didn't go on and I don't think anybody else did. We just lolloped around the, um, the, the, the pitch a few times and before we knew it all these all these spectators were hurling beer cans at us and then coming over the railings and starting to come in and tackle us and it was like rocks drifted in the end we were in this tight little huddle and this 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 fights broke out you know we were together in the middle of the pitch just fending off all these spectators camp coming at us so i was i was headline news having just limped into new zealand limped into you know lions in brawl after counties games oh dear <laughs> that was my that was my entree into new zealand and i and i played on the so it would have been played against the waikato on the tuesday yeah and we won handsomely i was not picked for the final test on the following saturday so my lions record is 100 thank you fantastic fantastic well Fingers crossed to be like that this summer. Are, are you going at all? Um, you mentioned obviously you're not working for the Observer anymore. So will you be going to the Lions tour? No, no, no. Haven't, um, haven't, didn't go the last one either. Didn't go on the one before that either. You know my, you know the the, the days of um, of journalists willy nilly going around the world. They sort of they petered out, and as soon as they started petering out, I got out. <laughs> you know, I, I know. but I did. I I, I saw the world several times over through rugby and it's it was it was the most brilliant passport to, to going places that's it's amazing isn't it look you you played at Pontypool for 14 years and we we're trying to go through our record to see if you ever played London Welsh and while I was doing my research I really you know I realized that London Welsh didn't play Pontypool very often due to a, quite a fractious encounter in 73 which left London Welsh with only 12 players on the pitch with a they got one player had 15 stitches, another hurt his ribs, ribs and Clive Reese went off to hospital after being felled by a stiff arm tackle, as they call it. So, uh, and then after that, we decided not to play Pontypool. Um, did you, did you, there's a fixture in 81. Did, did, did you ever play against under Welsh? I think I was captain. I, I think I, uh, yeah. So we, we played, I remember, uh, I played a, who was it? Howard, Howard Thomas, was it? How was it? Howard Thomas, who was at Loughborough? And he played for London Welsh. I just played with how British universities against French universities, and he played really well, and I played really badly. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I found myself playing against Howard. So we were together for the British universities, and now we were against each other in the Pontypool London Welsh fixture. So, oh my god, I better pull my finger out here. And we, I think we won, we won pretty easily, and I think in the end. But it was, um, it, yeah, it was lovely. I we we. Um, you wouldn't have been the only club back then that that didn't play Pontypool. The list was quite long. Yeah, Gloucester would have played us eight times a season. As every club dropped us, Gloucester volunteered to play us again. <laughs> so we, so we, we were always welcome at King's Own. So were Ponty a violent team in your day, or they just just uh, you just played on the edge and that was it? Uh, rugby in general, I mean, everybody was violent back in the 70s. And if you were, we just happened to be better at it than most, you know, not me, I'm, I'm, I, I hasten to say, but there were some natural born street fighters who were just brilliant. You know, you, 
our we didn't we didn't have to g anybody up. In fact, the the, the main thing about Pontypool was actually trying to impose restraints before matches. Just calm down, everybody. We go about the business. Let's just be ruthless about this. And but yeah, we were we were. Yeah, we were full of tough boys and they they just loved it you know and it, it was very important to them and the, and and the style we played suited us we didn't mm -hmm. claim to have some template for for everybody for welsh rugby world domination but it, it it suited us and it was a lot of forward power and a lot of kicking and a lot of chasing and a lot of a lot of order when it came to defense and it it, it, it worked we scored a lot of points but I don't suppose we lit up the um, lit up the streets with our glow of adventure. <laughs> I'm sure the referees are always wary of going to Pontypool to referee a match, but a, a testing occasion for them. But look, your former Pontypool meant you played for Wales a number of occasions. You were th 16 caps of Wales, but 11 of your test test caps have been with London Welsh players in the Wales squad. So you had Rob Ackerman for a few caps. Yeah. JPR Williams may have played that game against New Zealand when he was called back. Yes, JPR came back. And it's even the greats find it difficult to, to come back once they've packed in. Yeah. You know, it's 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 never easy. You know, you have this vision in your own mind that nothing's changed, it'll be all right. In fact, with a bit of a bit of knowledge, I'll probably be a better player than ever. But it it very rarely works out like that. So that's it. But I mean JPR, I mean he doesn't need he doesn't need his his epilogue in the 80s to, to to blot his contribution to the 70s i mean he was just fantastic uh, uh, rob ackerman he um we we played in ireland in 84 and he famously sold the dummy that actually tilted lansdowne road over <laughs> as the entire irish nation took the dummy <laughs> and he went through the gap and and scored on a very wet pitch, and so that was that was probably the highlight of his international career. You I know, think it's his, his one try. I think that's his only try for Wales in about twenty really, odd caps. Yeah, yeah. He appeared as a teenager against New Zealand in that in that game, and and was excellent. It's very hard to shine as a winger in in a side well beaten, but but Akers managed it very well, and you know he he then moved into the centre, scored that try against against. The Irish, uh, but uh, uh, Clive, I, I played a lot of sevens with Clive and he was just brilliant at sevens, but we couldn't, we couldn't supply him with a try scoring pass for Wales. I mean, <laughs> Elgin Reese was on one wing and, and Wizzer was on the other and, and Elgin, we called him Harry because he, I think he was Harold Elgin Reese. There was Elgin, Harry scoring tries for fun always had the ball coming his way and there was Wizzer on the other wing <laughs> he, it just simply never happened for him and I you know he was, he was brilliant he was so elusive and, and and quick and he had everything but he just couldn't score for Wales. It's funny you say he's good at sevens because he he uh, brought Kevin Bowering into London Welsh to play when he was at a sevens tournament in Amsterdam and so you got uh, Kevin to play at that, at that for the Voyages, which is like a charity for yeah, um, yeah, injured yeah. players. And, uh, got, and Rob Reese has played obviously for Wales when you were there. Then a couple of other players, Mark Douglas and Mark Titley, who um, I think they were capped for Wales before or after they'd played with London Welsh, just I mean. So, so they were the players from London Welsh that uh, represented Wales while, whilst you were playing. 
Well, Mark Titley had had the season. I think he was in a was he World Player of the Year? He was certainly sort of Five Nations Player of the Season, and he had one glittering season. And you know, and we thought, well, that's all right. That's the that's the wing position sorted for Wales for a number of years, and then it it, it never seemed to happen again. It, you know, I suppose when when the team in general is is slightly erratic then the winger is probably going to suffer more than most but and Dougie at scrum half I mean he was he was a tough old boy Dougie he was great and I suppose you know back then if Terry Holmes was fit Terry Holmes played but because he was one of the he was he if he'd been injury free he would have been every bit as good as Gareth Edwards Terry Holmes was a monstrously good player brilliant brilliant unfortunately he was he was injury prone for somebody so physical he just had shoulder problems and knee problems but no he was he was truly brilliant terry holmes but i played with you know i had david bishop played yeah. with me once in wales gerald williams at bridgend was a scrum half ray giles mark douglas you know there, there was <laughs> you, you might say i ruined the careers of quite a few scrum halves <laughs> Oh dear! Look, um, I'm just wondering, really, from your perspective, do you ever hear about you know London Welsh's progress, and does do our, does our news reach Wales at all? Yeah, yeah, no, no, we, um, you know, we follow the Welsh, follow the Welsh, don't they? They take an interest in in whatever's happening. I suppose we were all aware, aware of the of the great crash from the Premiership, so yeah. that was you know that that was seen through you know eyes through hands held in front of eyes so that was that was a shame you know we need we need every club involving Welsh players to be to be prospering you know we we need every ounce of talent coming through we can but uh, yeah no the, but I uh, I suppose I know London Welsh pretty well we the, the BBC hold quite a few meetings there we, we we come out to Richmond quite a lot or we did back in the day we used to go and have our you know, Six Nations briefings there. And it was always a great welcome. We had great fun there. Yeah, look, and we're on the way back now. We're regrouping. We're playing level six rugby next season. And fingers crossed, we'll have a butler amongst, uh, in our performance squad training with the boys. And we'll get you to come down the M4 with the family and watch a game at Old Deer Park and see your son yeah. playing, hopefully. He played Abergavenny, went to their first ever final. And it was the, the, you know, finals day in Wales is when you have the plate and the bowl and the whatever the big one is. And Abergavenny were in the, were first up in the, in the, in the, in the I think it's the plate, the plate final against Oakdale. Rivals from the same le league and uh, always a ding dong battle, Oakdale, Abergavenny. And it was, you know, you're playing on, on the Principality Stadium. It was, it was Jacob's big moment and he was so up for it. And he got knocked out in the first three minutes and oh. <laughs> he had to go. So, and it's sort of, oh, one of those moments. But uh, anyway, he's um, he's recovered, played again for Abergavenny and now is is up in London. And as I say, coming your way. Fantastic. That's what you want, you see. We want Welsh players who come to London to come and play at London Welsh and have that camaraderie, you know, um, and Welsh community at London mm. Welsh. That's all we want. So we've got some links now with Cardiff Met and Swansea University we're encouraging any players that from who played for them who are coming to work in London to come and fi find their, their their friendship groups within London Welsh as well. So uh, it's it's great that Jacob could be you know an advert for us you know like that as well really. Well, 
Look after him, please. <laughs> no, but look, look, Eddie, um, thanks for your time today. Please, if you know, please come to ODP and, and come watch uh, Jacob play. Um, enjoy your summer. Um, and as I say, uh, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. No problem, Gareth. And um, yep, yeah, see you soon then. Definitely. Uh, thank you.